this morning I want us to look at the question of how big is our God. And this morning, when we look at uh, Romans chapter 9, I think it's pretty important, like a lot of scripture, to look at it in context. And that, of course, is chapter 8. And of course, if you keep on going back to understand chapter 8, you've got to understand chapter 6 or 7, etc. We won't go that far back. So we'll just look a bit at chapter 8. I want us to please, this, by the way, you guys have got to do some work this morning. I'm not going to do all the talking. You guys are going to do some. So, first of all, um, whoops, no, that one, right. I want us to look at uh, chapter 8, verses 12 to 17, and I want someone to give us a one-sentence summary of that passage. You can all look at it, but we'll save a bit of time by only one person giving a summary. What is Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17 about? Someone like to help us out here? Sorry? Right, what the Spirit gives us. Anyone else? It's talking about a victory in the Spirit. Rightio, next question. What's 8.35 about? A one-sentence summary there. Sorry? Right, nothing can separate us from God. That in the gospel, we have the ultimate uh, success, the ultimate victory over life and over death, over sin and everything else. Now, the question, of course, is how can we be sure of this? So God has promised something. How can we be sure that he's able to do this? Because if we look at Romans uh, 8.29, Paul goes on to explain the process by where, whereby God can guarantee that victory that he's promised. He talks about God dealing with us for whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren and whom he predestined, he also called and whom he also called, he also justified and whom he justified, these he also glorified. And then Paul goes on in the rest of chapter 8, 31 to 39, to expand how absolute the assurance of God is no matter what happens to us. And he goes on to quote some Old Testament uh, uh, verses to back up his case. Paul is absolutely convinced about the sovereignty of God. God is in control. However, this leads to a problem for Paul. What's Paul's problem in chapter 9, verses 1 to 4a? What's Paul's problem? Why does God's sovereignty create a problem, a pastoral problem for Paul? 
Anyone? Sorry? Aren't, yeah, the Jews don't, aren't coming to Christ. So hang on, God's in control, but the Jews aren't coming to him. What's the problem? Well, the problem is the Jews. They are Israelites, God's chosen people. They have been adopted by God. They have the glory of God. They have the covenants and the legislation of God. They have the worship of God in the Old Testament through the temple. They have the promises of God. And they have the right ancestry. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And even more than that, from them has come the Messiah, God's appointed one. So this raises Paul's problem. Has God failed? If God's in control, and yet some of the Jews aren't coming to Jesus. Of course, what's Romans 19, um, 6 to 13 about? Someone have a quick look at that, please. It's explaining part of God's character. It's also explaining why God is still in control. And if we go to verses 6 to 13 of chapter 9, Paul talks about the extent of predestination. He expands what he means by predestination. And to put it bluntly, it is exactly what it implies. God is in control of our lives. My comment, ouch. We don't always like that. But the fact is, God is in control. Now, unless you're more brilliant than anyone I've ever met, I can't put that together with the fact that I believe I have a large amount of freedom of determination. I can decide whether I come to church this morning or not. I have, so that's good or bad. I'll let you judge that one. <laughs> I can decide whether I go to work tomorrow. For some things, however, I can't decide. I cannot decide if I have an accident on the way home this morning. There are some things I cannot decide. I cannot decide if someone close to me will die or someone close to me will do whatever. Some things I can control, I think I control, some things I can't. But God's word says no, God is in control of everything. See, basically we've got two options. If God cannot control everything, so why do we trust him as he might not be able to control the very thing we need him to control? And the other option is God is in control of everything, therefore we can trust him for everything. We can't have it both ways. Either God is in control and therefore trustable, or God is not in control of everything 
and therefore, why should we trust him? Paul goes on in verses 10 to 13, and he quotes the, well, he doesn't quote the Old Testament, but he quotes the Old Testament story about Rebekah. She conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything, good or bad, in order that God's purposes according to his choice might stand, not because of works, because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Quoting God. See, the problem is, we often try to get around the, this predestination issue by saying, oh yes, God calls us according to the response that he knows we're going to make. Which might sound good. However, just looking at that passage that we just read out from uh, verses 10 to 13, several points need to be made. First of all, God reversed the cultural order. The order of the culture of the day was that the the younger would serve the older. But now God reversed that. Secondly, God made a choice before either of them were born, before they had a chance to do anything good or evil. And thirdly, in that passage, Paul is at pains to point out God's complete sovereignty in order that God's purpose, according to his choice, because of him who calls. That's the basis of God's activity in their lives. Nothing to do with them. It was simply God at work. As someone once said, God chooses to choose who he chooses to choose because he chose to choose them. Now, it may sound interesting, but it really does throw our human understanding uh, to the wall in one sense. There are two main objections to the concept that God chooses us because of his foreknowledge of us. First one is that scripture is at pains to point out that God's predestination is not on the basis of our decision, but his absolute sovereign choice. We just read uh, Romans 9.11, and if you go to 2 Timothy 1.9, God called us with a holy calling, not according to works, but according to his own purpose. The second problem is that if God calls us according to foreknowledge, then God's sovereignty or God's choice is limited to those who he knew would respond to him. And we have to ask the question, does that affect his uh, ability to be sovereign? 
if he cannot do something outside of our choices, then his sovereignty is somewhat limited. And if the third objection, of course, is that if God's choice is limited to those who would know him, who would respond to him, what enables someone to respond to the gospel? Do we decide suddenly to respond to the gospel? The answer to that, of course, is no. John 16, 8 and 9. Jesus speaking. And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So we can only become a Christian if we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sinfulness, to convict us that there is a righteous God and to convict us that one day there's going to be a judgment between the two. The next thing that Paul addresses is the justice of predestination. Basically, Paul suggests that if we doubt the, the justice of predestination, we're asking the wrong question. Because the basis on which God deals with sinners is not justice, but mercy. If justice was the only basis of salvation, then no one would be saved. Because justice demands that a sinner be condemned and punished. And some people often quote the, the story of Pharaoh hardening his heart. What they often say is that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's true. But notice that God only hardened Pharaoh's heart after six times Pharaoh had hardened his own heart. So God was not just playing pinball machines, so to speak, with Pharaoh. The next issue that Paul addresses is the implication of predestination. Does God have the right to set the rules? The answer, of course, is yes. Isaiah 29:16. Secondly, Paul is not saying that God creates people for evil, but that he has a right to deal with people according to his pleasure. We are already evil in God's sight. God has a right to do with us as he wills. And then the next section, Paul deals with the history of predestination, which is basically quoting quite a few of the Old Testament passages that deal with the fact that God has always been in charge of the Israelite people, that they have never been a totally free agent. Now, if you're a bit like me, or totally like me, you might feel a bit uncomfortable at this stage. How come God is in absolute control over everything of our lives? If you want the answer, I haven't got it. I don't understand how God can be in absolute control and yet we have freedom of choice in a lot of areas. What I do know is that God is much bigger 
than you and I. Well, bigger than me anyway. But I cannot understand that. God somehow can. If you're feeling uncomfortable about God being such a control freak, then let us remind ourselves the definition of God in one sense. In 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sin. Sent our son to be the propitiation, the payment of the guilt for our sin. That's the God we're dealing with. Or again in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We have been looking at just one aspect of God, his sovereign control. I can't put that together. No one can. But God is the one that we trust. Again, I repeat, we've got two options. Either God cannot control everything, so why bother trusting him? Or God is in control of everything, therefore we can trust him. The choice is ours. I want to just draw this to a, a conclusion in one sense by looking at the FSL conundrum, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. You, you've all heard this, haven't you? No? Oh, gee, I'm sorry. Well, I better, I better explain it then. The FSL, farmer, sheep and lucerne. Now, some of you might know that I used to be a farmer out west of New South Wales and at one particular stage we had two paddocks of lucerne, which was a bit of a rarity out there because it wasn't quite the right climate, but we got these two paddocks of lucerne going. Lucerne is fabulous, Tucker. If you want to ask a sheep or a cattle what's the best food, I'm sure they'll say, bad, 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 lucerne. Or moo, 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 lucerne. Either way, they'll get across the idea it's lucerne. Their favourite tucker. And it is good for them. Really good for them. The problem is, when it's really fresh and when it's wet, it is fatal. Because if they get a gut full of it, they get full a whole heap, they produce a whole heap of gases. And unfortunately, they can't get rid of those gases quickly enough through the usual channels. And so consequently, they have a major problem. They just literally, slowly, blow up and burst. Very uncomfortable, very unpleasant, and 98% of the times, unless you're very quick with a very big needle, fatal. And if you do use a big needle, stand clear. It's not a pleasant situation, believe me. So... We have, and, and by the way, um, in the summertime at home on the farm, that was when we had the least amount of food. So when it rained in the summertime, these two paddocks would shoot forth full of lucerne. Lovely, green, luscious lucerne. And the sheep would be outside looking at, through the fence and looking at us and looking at the lucerne and say, come on, good tucker over here, nothing here. Why aren't you leading, leading us into the lucerne? And we, because we knew too much, said, no, 
We've got to wait a week till the lucerne dries out, till it's not quite so lush. Then we can let you in a little bit at a time. In for half an hour, out. Right? Can you imagine what the sheep were saying to themselves? These, I'll leave that bit out, humans, what are they thinking? They know we're hungry. They know that that good tucker's over there and they're not letting us in. And when they do let us in, guess what they do? Half an hour later, they chase us back out. Can you see this? See any connections? What are we like with God? Those sheep, they cannot understand why we did what we were doing. But we knew it was for their good. That's the same with us and God. And God, by the way, does call us sheep sometimes. We cannot understand God. Just as the sheep have got no capacity whatsoever to understand even a fraction of what we know and understand, when it comes to God, we're the same. We don't have the ability to understand God in, its, in his entirety. So, as Deuteronomy says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. God is so much bigger than you and I. We can understand it. We simply have to trust in the God that is that big. And quite frankly, if God wasn't able to control things, would he be worth trusting? I don't think so. That's my personal opinion. Conclusions. First of all, we must accept that God is bigger than we are. He has revealed himself through the word and through creation, sufficient for us to know that A, there is a God, and B, that he is trustworthy. Uh, I've just had the blessing of uh, some time out in the outback bush. And there's nothing nicer, in my opinion, than sitting down near a fire, no lights, and looking at the stars, etc. Now, admittedly, unfortunately, last time there was a few clouds too, but that's beside the point. But when there are stars, stars there, I am just amazed at the fact that all those stars, and we can only see a fraction of them, are all there, they're all ordered, they're all in the system, they all know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. How do they all get there? Some accident? I don't think so. God is bigger than you and I. We've got to understand that it's impossible for us to understand the depths of God. God can put oppose, what we think are opposing concepts together. Our freedom of choice, God's sovereign control. I don't understand it. God does. That's all I can say. We've also got to accept the fact that through the word of God, we can understand so much about God. We can also understand enough for us to trust God. It's not just a, uh, a wishful thinking thing. 
And finally, we've got to also remember Paul's, uh, we must follow Paul's example and instructions to preach the gospel. Because sometimes some people think that because people are predestined, they don't have to bother preaching. Or what's the purpose of preaching? Now, once again, God puts two things together. He commands us to preach the gospel, e.g. Alpha, e.g. talking to people, e.g. at work, at school, at play, wherever. He commands us to tell the gospel. We don't know the results, God does, but we are, com we are commanded to be active in the gospel. There's an illustration that someone has, uh, has come up with and has quoted in quite a few situations where it's sort of a, an image of the pearly gates. And on this side of the pearly gates, there's a sign, whoever wants to can come to the gospel, come, come to Jesus. And as you go through the pearly gates, you look back and the sign says, you were predestined. Now, it might be an interesting illustration, but what it does say is that God can put those two together. God is in control, but God is in control for us, not against us. And that's why Paul says that nothing in chapter 8 can separate us from the love of God. And it's that that I want us to concentrate on. God is bigger than you and I, but nothing can separate us from the love of God. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.